Section 10 of the Letters of a Post-Impressionist This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gaby Cowan The Letters of a Post-Impressionist by Vincent Van Gogh Translated by Anthony Mario Dulovici Section 10. Letters to E. Bernard. Part 3. I have just finished the portrait of a little girl of twelve. Her eyes are brown, her hair and eyebrows are black, she has an olive skin, and stands before a white background containing a strong tinge of emerald green, in a blood-red jacket with violet stripes. A blue skirt with large orange-colored spots and an oleander flower between her dainty little fingers. This study has exhausted me to such an extent that my head does not feel like writing. The Bible is Christ, for the Old Testament works up to his climax. St. Paul and the Evangelist live on the other side of the Mount of Olives, how small this history is heavens here it is in a couple of words there seem to be nothing but jews on earth jews who suddenly declare that everything outside their own race is unclean why did not all the other southern races under the sun the egyptians the indians the ethiopians the assyrians and the babylonians write their annals with the same care it must be fine to study these things and to be able to read all this must be about as good as not being able to read at all but the bible which depresses us so much which rouses all our despair and all our deepest discontent and whose narrow-mindedness and parrow's folly tear our hearts in two contains one piece of consolation like a soft kernel in a hard shell a bitter core and that is christ the figure of christ as i conceived it has been painted by delacroix and rembrandt and only michet painted christ's teaching at the rest of the religious painting i can only smile commiseratingly not from the religious but from the pictorial standpoint the early italians flemings and germans are in my opinion pagans who interest me only as much as velasquez and so many other naturalistic painters do of all philosophers sages etc christ was the only one whose principal doctrine was the affirmation of immortality and eternity the nothingness of death and the necessity and importance of truth and resignation he lived serenely as an artist as a greater artist than any other for he despised marble clay and the palette and worked upon living flesh that is to say this marvellous artist who eludes the grasp of that coarse instrument the neurotic and confused brain of modern man created neither statues nor pictures nor even books he says so himself quite majestically he created real living men 
in mortals. That is a solemn thing, more particularly because it is the truth. This great artist, then, wrote no books. There can be no doubt that Christian literature on the whole could only make him indignant, for how seldom is anything to be found among its productions that could find favor beside the hospital of St. Luke and the epistles of St. Paul, which are so simple in their austere and warlike form? But even if this great artist, Christ, scorned to write books about his ideas and sensations, he certainly did not despise either the spoken word or still less the parable what a vigor there is in the parable of the sower the harvest and the fig tree and who would dare tell us that he lied when in predicting the downfall of the roman state he declared heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away these spoken words which he as a grand seigneur did not even think it necessary to write down are the highest pinnacle ever attained by art in such pure altitudes art becomes a creative force a pure creative power such meditations lead us far afield very far afield they even elevate us above art they give us an insight into the art of moulding life and of being immortal in life itself and still they are not unrelated to painting the patron saint of painting saint luke doctor painter and evangelist whose device alas is an ox is there to give us hope but our true and real life is really a humble one we poor unhappy painters are vegetating beneath the besotting yoke of a craft which is barely practicable on this ungrateful planet whereon the love of art makes us unable to taste of real love as however there is nothing to gainsay the supposition that there are similar lines colors and forms on innumerable other planets and suns we may be allowed to retain a certain amount of good spirits in view of the possibility that we shall be able to paint among higher conditions and in another and different life and that we shall reach that life by a process which perhaps is not more incomprehensible or surprising than the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly or a grub into a cock shaper the scene of this existence for the painter butterfly could be one of the innumerable stars which when we are dead might perhaps be as accessible to us as are the black spots that in this terrestrial life represent the cities and towns on our maps science scientific reasoning seems to me to be a weapon which with time will develop in quite an unsuspected manner in the old days for instance the world was supposed to be flat this was perfectly right too it is still flat between paris and asnières 
this however does not alter the fact that science proves the earth to be round a fact no one any longer disputes now in the same way it is assumed that human life is flat and that it leads from birth to death probably however life also is round and much vaster in its extent and its capacities than we have suspected heretofore later generations will probably enlighten us concerning this interesting problem and then possibly science might with all due respect to her come almost to the same conclusions as those which christ summed up in his doctrine concerning the other half of life however this may be the fact remains that we painters are living in the midst of reality and that we should breathe our spirit into our creations as long as we ourselves continue to breathe oh what a beautiful picture that is of eugene de la croix christ on the lake of genesaret he with his pale yellow halo asleep and luminous bathed in a glow of dramatic violet dark blue reddish blue and the group of frightened disciples upon the terrible viridian sea with waves reaching up to the top of the frame what a splendid conception i could make a few sketches for you were it not for the fact that i have just been busy with a model for three days drawing and painting as suiva and simply cannot do anything more writing on the other hand rests and distracts me what i have done is hideous a drawing of the suiva sitting then an oil sketch of him against a perfectly white wall and then a portrait of him against a green door and a few yellow bricks of a wall it is all hard ugly and badly done albeit as i tackle real difficulties in its production it may pave the way into the future any figure that i paint is generally dreadful even in my own eyes how much more hideous it must be therefore in other people's and yet one derives most experience from the study of the figure when one sets about it in a manner that is different from that which m benjamin constant used to teach us for instance i say do you remember puvise chavannes john the baptist i think it is simply wonderful and just as magic as eugene de la croix work my brother-in-law is at present holding an exhibition of claude monet's work ten pictures painted in antive between february and may it appears that it is extraordinarily beautiful have you ever read the life of luther it is necessary to do this in order to be able to understand crenach holbein and Dugar. he and his powerful personality are the highlight of the renaissance if ever we happen to be in the louvre together I should very much like to see the primitives with you. At the Louvre, my greatest love is, of course, the Dutch school. Rembrandt, above all, whom I studied so much in the past. Then Potter, upon a surface from about four to six meters, he gives you a white stallion, neighing passionately and desperately, with a dark and stormy sky above it. 
and the animal sadly isolated upon a pale green infinity of moist meadow-land altogether there are glories to be found in these dutchmen which can be compared with nothing else Today i am sending you one or two sketches painted from oil studies in this way you will become acquainted with themes drawn from the nature which inspired old Cézanne. from the call near ax is much the same as the country in the neighborhood of tarascon and the call of this district camargue is even simpler still for their vast stretches of waste ground are covered with nothing but tamarind bushes and stiff grasses which bear the same relation to these lean meadows as alpha grass does to the desert as i know how very fond you are of sea sound i thought that these sketches from provence would please you not because there is any trace of resemblance between my drawings and Cézanne's. god forbid that i should mean that any more than there is between monticelli and myself but i passionately love the same country as they loved so much and for the same reasons the colouring and the definite drawing when i used the word collaboration some time ago i did not mean that two or three painters should work at the same picture but that they should each produce different works which nevertheless should belong to and complete one another look at the early italians the german primitives and the dutch school and the later italians do not all their works together quite involuntarily constitute a group a series as a matter of fact the impressionists also constitute a group despite all their wretched domestic warfare in which both sides with an enthusiasm worthy or a better cause endeavour to eat each other up in our northern school rangland is lord and master for his influence is felt by every one who approaches him for instance we find paul potter painting animals adroit and passionate in storm sunshine and the melancholy of autumn while this same potter before he knew rembrandt was dry and feeble rembrandt and potter are two men who are as closely related as brothers and even if rembrandt never put a brush stroke on potter's pictures potter and rogersdale nevertheless have to thank him for all the best qualities their work possesses that intangible something which thrills us to the core when we succeed in recognizing a corner of old holland a travers le temperament besides the material difficulties of the painter's life renders something in the way of collaboration and combination between artists and a very desirable thing such as existed at the time of saint luke gills for if only they would appreciate each other as good as comrades instead of being always at loggerheads they might considerably alleviate one another's difficulties painters would then be happier and in any case less ridiculous foolish and vile but i don't wish to insist on this point i know well enough at what a frantic pace life travels nowadays and that one has not the time to discuss things and to act as well and that is why 
in view of the remoteness of any possible artistic association we painters are now in mid-sea and are sailing alone in our wretched little craft on the great billows of our age is it an age of development or of decay we cannot judge of this for we are too closely connected with it to be able to avoid being led astray by the distortions of perspective contemporary events probably assume exaggerated proportions in our eyes whether they be to our advantage or disadvantage i have had another very busy day to-day i wonder what could you say about my present work in any case you could seek it in vain for Cézanne's conscientious and almost timid brush stroke as however i am painting the same stretch of country la croix and la camargue although from a somewhat different standpoint you might after all find some of my colouring reminiscent of his work how do i know at times i have thought involuntarily of Cézanne when i happen to recall his clumsy brush strokes excuse the word clumsy in many a study which probably he painted in a strong north wind as half the time i have to contend with the same difficulties i can understand how it is that Cézanne's brush stroke is sometimes firm and steady and at other times clumsy his easel shook once or twice i have worked at a mad speed if it is wrong to do so i cannot help it for instance i painted the summer evening on a canvas about thirty-five inches by thirty-five inches at one sitting could i work on it again impossible why should i spoil it more particularly as i set out to paint it in the midst of a strong north wind are we not much more keenly in search of strength of conception than of sober brush work and after all is it always possible to work in a quiet and perfectly regular manner when painting a study which is a first impression on the spot itself and from nature upon my soul this would seem to me just as impossible as in fencing if only painters could unite in order to collaborate in the production of great things the art of the future might then give us examples of their work for the execution of their pictures painters would then have to collaborate in order to be able to bear the material difficulties unfortunately however we are not so far advanced things do not go so fast with the fine arts as with literature Today like yesterday i am writing to you in a great haste and quite exhausted with work for the moment i do not feel equal to making any drawings my morning in the fields has worn me out completely how this southern sun fatigues one i am quite incapable of judging my own work i cannot see whether my studies are good or bad i have painted seven studies of corn unfortunately quite against my will there are only landscapes they are all of a yellow tone and were executed at a frantic speed just as the reaper works silently in the sweltering sun with only one thought in his mind to cut down as much as possible 
I can well understand that you were a trifle surprised to hear how little I liked the Bible, although I have often tried to study it more thoroughly. Only its kernel, Christ, seems to me, from an artistic point of view, to stand higher than, or at any rate to be somewhat different from Greek, Indian, Egyptian, and Persian antiquities, although these also stood on a very high plane. But, I repeat, this Christ is more of an artist than all artists. He worked in living spirits and bodies. He made men instead of statues. When I think of this, I feel a regular beast in the field, for I am not a painter. And I admire the bull, the eagle, and man with such an intense adoration that it will certainly prevent me from ever becoming an ambitious person. I grow ever more and more convinced that cooking has something to do with our capacity for thinking and for painting pictures. I know, for instance, that if my digestion is upset, my work does not by any means improve. In the South, the powers of the censors are intensified. One's hand is more nimble one's eyes are more acute and one's brain is clearer all this of course on condition that no dysentery or any other indisposition arises to spoil everything and to pull one down on this account i venture to declare that he who would fain devote himself to artistic work will find his capacities increase in the south Art is long, and life is fleeting, and one must try with patience to sell one's life as dearly as possible. I should like to be your age, and with all I know to go to Africa to serve as a soldier there. In order to work well, one must be well lodged, well fed, and able to smoke one's pipe and drink one's coffee in peace. I do not wish to imply that there are not many other good things let every one do as he pleases but my system seems to me better than many others end of section ten recorded by gavi cowan